at hand that would be the overarching and continuing task of the church until his return, he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. That carries on to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of this age. And Kingsville Baptist Church is carrying out that mission in a very unique way. Many of you are familiar with what is called the Sarah Thompson Mission Fund, but many of you are not. And today we're going to take just a moment to refresh you on the story behind the offering. While fighting what would soon be a life-ending battle with cancer, a young girl, Sarah Thompson, came forward at the end of a worship service here at Kingsville Baptist Church and declared to Brother Jim Spencer, who was the pastor at the time, and said to him, I want my life to count for something. Her youth and her few years she felt may be wasted with her death. So she went on to be with the Lord at a tender young age of 13. After time of reflection on Sarah's life and her desire, and after time spent in prayer, Brother Jim believed that one of the ways Sarah's desire to have her life count for something would be to establish a mission fund in her name. And so, at the prompting of Brother Jim, Sarah's family gave both their blessing and permission for the establishment of an offering in Sarah's honor and memory. That offering has now taken Sarah's desire far beyond what she or Brother Jim Spencer might have imagined. Watch this. Right here at Kingsville, the little church in Ball, moving into Montana, carrying the gospel from there, also to Massachusetts. Is it following? Yeah, there we go. From there into Colorado, we expand off into Alaska, crossing the northern border into Canada, heading south of the border to Mexico. Not just there, but Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Further down into Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Trinidad, Suriname, probably naming some countries you may not have even known existed or maybe forgotten about since you took your geography class in high school. On down into Ecuador, Peru, Brazil. Then we cross over the Atlantic into Scotland, also Romania, Greece, Turkey. China, Nepal, Thailand, Burkina Faso, Ghana, Uganda, Angola, Zimbabwe. Now look at that picture for just a minute and let that sink in. All of those are people from this congregation. All of those places, the funding that made it possible, a church that started up the top of the hill up here, moved here, 
visionary, missions-minded pastor, Brother Jim, 30 years serving faithfully, caring about what we would do with our time and talent and tithe. God taking a little girl to ignite a little flame that has literally burned across the globe. One more. Just look at all the dots and all the places that we've been as a congregation. Making global impact as a congregation. Let me show you the history of giving and going. Since 1999, more than $385,000 has been given. At least 303 individual mission trips. Four states in the U.S., 24 countries, five of the seven continents. How does the Sarah Sarah Thompson Mission Fund work? Well, it's pretty simple. Funds are collected year-round with an emphasis like this today in October. The Sarah Thompson Fund matches up to one-half of the cost of an individual's trip cost. That means their travel, room, and board, with a maximum of $1,500 per person annually. Members of the Kingsville Baptist Church apply in writing to the missions committee, and then once approval from the missions committee is given, the funds are distributed to the individual by check prior to the departure on the mission trip. So, wow, this is, this is amazing. We, this church right here, we're going that far and accomplishing that much. We are. A lot of times it happens behind the scenes and you don't hear about it until after the fact. God has been at work in a mighty way, sending us to fulfill the Great Commission. And so, how could each one of us be involved? Well, first, we can give today after the service. There will be collection plates at all of the exits out of the sanctuary today, and you can drop into that collection plate an offering. There are envelopes in your pew right now, and uh, you could grab those out and just check the little box on there that says Sarah Thompson. Or if you wanted to just give cash and just drop it in that offering plate on your way out, that'll be fine too. This is totally aside from our regular offering. This is just specifically for this fund. If you're going to write a check, please make it out to KBC Sarah Thompson Mission Fund. You can also give monthly. Set aside a monthly amount that you designate along with your tithes and other offerings. We really, really emphasize this. This is not a substitute for your regular giving. We don't want to substitute for our regular giving to make this designated giving occur. We want this to be an above and beyond offering. We encourage you to give in honor or memory of someone special to you and your family. Many times families, when a death of a loved one has occurred, they just encourage folks, if you want to give a gift in lieu of flowers or other donations, why don't you just give to the Sarah Thompson Mission Fund? That's been a real blessing to our congregation. And also, prayer. Pray that God will continue to send our church all over the globe with the good news of God's redeeming love. As we prepare for our time with our children, I want you to bow with me in prayer as our children get ready to come forward. Father, by the grace of our Lord Jesus, we are here today to serve you. And we want to bring attention to your work across the globe that you've blessed our church with. And so today, we give thanks for the Sarah Thompson Mission Fund. And for Sarah's life, counting for something. Now, Lord, we know that it's not the only thing it counted for, that those 13 years were meaningful in many more ways than we could ever imagine. But we do see that this one desire she had, you have fulfilled with the wisdom of Brother Jim. And we thank you. And we pray your blessings now as we gather in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, boys and girls, come on down. This morning we have a special guest. 
um, that's doing our children's message this morning. Pastor Bart is going to share with us this morning. We have the Lord's Supper today. You see the um, the table of the Lord's Supper there set up, and um, Pastor Bart is going to kind of share with us how how that's going to happen and and what that means. Good morning. How are y'all doing today? Good. I am so glad to see y'all. I loved the announcements that y'all did at the beginning of the service on video. That may be one of the most favorite things I've seen our church do. That was really awesome. And you did a good job on that. Y'all give Daniel a hand for putting that together. Wasn't that great? Yes, indeed. Really, really neat. Well, today is a special day in the life of our church. It's the day that we take the Lord's Supper. There are other names that people use for it. Sometimes they call it communion. Uh, There are other names that other denominations use for it as well, but we typically call it the Lord's Supper because it's the night that the Lord got together and had an actual dinner with his disciples. Hey, Macy, good to see you this morning. And, And in this time together, he taught them something. Now, when we do this every year, it's the telling of a story. And so someone was prepared today to read for us, and so they are ready to read some Scripture. So let's give attention to the Scripture for today. That I also passed on onto you the Lord Jesus on the night we, we, he was betrayed to look bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that's the story. It's the story of the Lord's death. When we do the Lord's Supper, we're actually telling a story. We're telling the story, the story that the whole universe exists for. This story is the reason that there is an earth. This story is the reason that you exist. This story is the reason that there are stars in the sky and clear running streams and beautiful animals. All of these things are a part of just one story, and it's the story of God's redeeming love. Can y'all say that with me? It's the story of God's redeeming love. Now, I said all of those words because they're all important. It's a story. It's been going on from before time began. It will go on until after the earth ceases to exist and there's a new heaven and a new earth. It's the story of God. It's His story. It's the story of how he made a creation and how he made people in his image. And those people didn't listen to him. They rebelled. And they fell into what the Bible calls sin. And their sin doomed them to death. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the Bible says that God wasn't finished with the story when Adam and Eve sinned. In fact, he was just beginning to reveal himself more clearly. And through the Bible, God revealed Himself piece by piece in the Old Testament until He clearly revealed Himself in Jesus. In Jesus, God's story came to make sense to us. Because in Jesus, God was coming to forgive us of our sins and to give us eternal life. 
And so we get together and we tell the story in two parts. Miss Wendy, will you hold this part for me? The first part of the story is the story called the bread. It's the story of Jesus' body. It's the story that God put on a human body. He put on human skin and he was born of a virgin and he lived on this earth. God inside human skin. And he never ever sinned. And he always did exactly what his father wanted. And he did everything that the Bible says is right and true and good. That's the story of the bread. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. It's the story of God putting on skin and coming to live out a life among us so he could forgive us. But that's just the first part of the story that we tell when we do the Lord's Supper. The body leads to the story of the blood. Because Jesus had lived a sinless life, he was able to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. He was able to remove your sins by dying for you. You can't do that. Only Jesus can. Because He came in a body and lived perfectly, His body bled and His body died. And His body was serving out a penalty, a punishment, a sentence for your sins and my sins. And by doing that, He made it possible for you to have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So we get together and we say, Jesus loved us and came to earth and lived in a body. Jesus loved us and, while on earth, died for our sins. And something happened after he died for our sins. What happened? He rose from the dead. And the Bible says that right now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father and we're all seated here today to tell his story. Now, every time we get together, we tell this story. But how come not everybody participates in the Lord's Supper? Well, there's a good reason for that. You only get to participate when God's story involves you personally. In other words, if you have not repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus to receive the offering of His life for you, to receive the forgiveness of sins, it's not part of your story yet. So you don't get to tell it. You only get to tell it when God's story and your story come together when you believe in Jesus. Because when I pick up this cup, I pick up this bread, I'm telling that God's story and my story came together when I was a little boy. And I heard my preacher tell me that I had sinned. That the wages, the earnings, the deservings of sin is death. But that Jesus loved me and He died for my sins and was raised from the dead. He lived in a real body. He died a real death. And He was raised from the dead. And my preacher told me, if you will trust this, God will forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life. And I did. And then I began telling the story too. From that time on, when I sat in church, I was part of the story. I got to receive the good news of the story, and I got to tell the good news of the story. And so today, some of you boys and girls, this story is a part of your life. And you get to tell it and hear it. Others of you, that's not happened yet. And that time will come. But today you just get to watch. 
while the others tell the story. So we're going to pray and ask God today to help us understand his story. Miss Wendy, did you set somebody aside to pray? It's me. Okay. Let's pray. Father, it's your story. It's the story of God's redeeming love. Help these boys and girls to know that. Help these moms and dads to know that. Help everybody who's here to see that you really did come in the flesh and live sinlessly, died as a sacrifice, raised as a victor over death and the grave. And now, Jesus, you reign eternally at the Father's right hand. Teach us this story that it may be our story. And we'll sing, I love to tell the story. In Jesus' name, amen. Love y'all. Good job today. I want to ask everybody if we'd stand together with your copy of God's Word. We're going to continue in worship by reading God's Word together. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30, and also from Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Beginning in Philippians 1 verse 27 Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel in no way alarmed by your opponents which is a sign of destruction for them but of salvation for you and that too from God For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Now in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray together. Father, we pray thanking you for the blessing of your word. We pray thanking you for the encouragement of your word. And Father, as we have reflected in the last few moments, celebrating the Lord's Supper, Celebrating the truth of your, of your life and your death and burial and resurrection for us. Celebrating what you have done in and through us as you have proclaimed yourself. You have proclaimed the gospel to the ends of the earth. You have proclaimed it through the lives of Kingsville members. Father, through the lives of those who've given, those who've gone. And Father, I pray that we as a church would continue to worship you in spirit and truth. Father, I pray that we would not selfishly look for things um, for ourselves personally, but instead we would look to your kingdom. And Father, I pray that we would be willing to lay down our lives. We would be willing to lay down 
our pocketbooks. We'd be willing to lay down our futures. We'd be willing to lay down those things that grab hold of us, Father. And I pray that we would lay those down to follow after you, our King. And I pray we would look to your word. And I pray that we would continue to build your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Wasn't that beautiful? Thank you, Haley and Van. Great, great time of worship. I hope you will join me in Philippians. I'm going to kind of walk our way up to the Lord's table. We have been talking about how the Apostle Paul is able to write a letter from a prison suffering for the sake and the name and the person of Jesus and also joyfully commending that faith to those there in the prison with him, to the Praetorian Guard, and then to the believers out in the community, and then to the world that does not know Christ. And so the Apostle Paul has something that we should want and possess. That is a joy that transcends or is separate from our circumstances. And I believe that Paul gives several reasons that that is possible and several ways to keep that joy maintained. And we will get to some of those more um, applied actions as we move further into Philippians, especially in chapter 3 and chapter 4. But for now, one of the things we need to do is look at what Paul is commending the people to do and that they do it in light of something. In other words, they're told, this is what you ought to do and this is why you ought to do it. And that's kind of what happens at the Lord's Supper today. There's this call to holiness. There's this call to obedience. There's this call to joy. There's this call to righteousness. There's this call to repentance that flows out of an experience that Jesus had and out of an experience that the believer has had with Jesus. And that experience that he has had is his life and death and burial and resurrection. And that experience that we have had is when we repent of our sins and place our faith in him, when God, by the work of his spirit, brings the new birth to us that enables us to repent and believe and understand the good news of the gospel. And so Paul commends that holy living in verse 27 that we heard earlier. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what we're doing is he's saying live in a way that flows from the story that we're about to tell. The gospel, the story of God, the story of Jesus, the story of redeeming love. And he says that that living will include some things. He says... In verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. Now, this is an interesting statement. When the word granted is typically used in the scriptures, it speaks of a gift. Something that is gifted to someone. And in this context, Paul calls suffering a gift. He calls your invitation to 
self-denial and personal sacrifice. And the experience of that suffering that comes with that, he calls that a gift. We'll get in in the next few weeks why it's a gift and how that gift works itself out. But the Apostle Paul says that we've been called to suffer for his sake. That's the last three words of verse 35, for, excuse me, 29, for his sake. So what we're doing today is we're going to come up to the Lord's table and we're going to say, what, what is it that makes this gospel call something worthy of suffering for? Something worthy of sacrificing for the cause of? What makes this gospel worthy of living for and, in Paul's mind, dying for? Well, we learned that in chapter 2, and we're not going to go too deep into it today because we'll really break it out in the coming weeks, but I will take you just to one passage into in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that's the picture of Jesus' sacrifice that should be compelling us to, to our lives of sacrifice. Now, I heard a story this past week uh, that came to me through my daughter, Lainey. I believe it originated with Matt Chandler, and the story moved me. And it made me contemplate the gospel in um, a better way. I don't want to call it a new way because it's probably been contemplated this way many times before, but it it helped me to comprehend it and contemplate it in a a better way. The story is is like this, and it's it's like an illustration. Um, Who on earth, what human, best knows cancer? Well, I have a friend in Natchez, and he is an oncologist. And when it comes to knowledge about cancer, this guy is at the top of the heap. He knows about all kinds of cancers. He knows about all kinds of treatments. When I was diagnosed, he's one of the first guys I talked to. I wanted to hear from him and kind of get some input. And I knew that he would just talk straight with me. He wasn't going to beat around the bush or, you know, kind of doll it up for me or make it uh, prettier than it was. He'd just tell me, this is this is exactly what, what it is. And, and so I really appreciated that. And, and so he has this knowledge of cancer that's just phenomenal. Years and years and years and years and years of study. He has offices in several cities that he does the work of a cancer doctor in. His particular specialty is radiation oncology. So he's a specialist at determining what kind of cancer it is and what's the best way to fight it if radiation is a part of that plan. And he has a great, great knowledge of cancer, far superior to anything that I could ever know and anyone that I've ever met other than other oncologists would know. He's just brilliant. And so he has what we would call an oncologist's knowledge of cancer. 
Now, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, Eve was tempted by the enemy, the serpent, the devil, to know something. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan brought it in to her that he was offering to her something like an oncologist's knowledge. That she would be able to know so much about good and evil. And that it was very enticing for her to know that. In fact, he said, it'll, it'll make you like God. And so he brought her this temptation with the idea that she would have this kind of knowledge. It's like an oncologist knowledge. It's something you intellectually can study and intellectually can understand and intellectually can recognize. But when she bit the fruit, she didn't receive an oncologist's knowledge of sin. You see, there's another kind of knowledge of sin. It's the experiential knowledge. Just like an oncologist's knowledge of cancer, there's another kind of knowledge of cancer that's different from the oncologist's. It's the knowledge of cancer that I have. I have cancer. It's a different kind of knowledge. It's not an intellectual knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. You see, Eve thought she would be able to hold this thing called sin, this knowledge of good and evil, at a distance and analyze it like an oncologist looks at cancer. But it wasn't like that at all. It was more like an experiencer of cancer. You see, sin, like a cancer, entered her, entered Adam. And entered all of their race. All of the human race. The Bible says that sin entered the world through one man. And death through sin. So that death spread to all men. Because all men sin. That's Romans 5. And so rather than getting an oncologist knowledge of sin. Eve got a, an experiencer's knowledge. She didn't become an intellectual about sin. She became a sinner. This is very interesting because God's knowledge of sin is an oncologist's knowledge. You see, God can't be a sinner. He can't be sin. He can know all about it. He can fathom everything that there is to know about it. And He can stand at a distance and not become a part of it. It doesn't infect Him. This is where the story gets so good. In order for us to be forgiven... God chose to move beyond an oncologist's knowledge of sin. That's why He took on flesh and blood. You see, what we're going to celebrate today is that when God took on flesh and blood, it made Jesus capable of carrying out 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He who knew no sin... Became sin. So that somehow without ever sinning, somehow it was as if the oncologist injected himself with cancer. 
knowing that by that injection, something could occur that would make other people not die anymore. And so what the Bible teaches us is that this bread and this blood tell the story of someone who stepped out of heaven and made a choice to go from an intellectual, oncologist knowledge of sin and suffering, of death and dying, and to take all of that onto himself and become a sufferer and be made sin while never sinning and then have all of the repercussions of that poured out upon him in the thing called death. So that what we celebrate today is one who drew near, one who left heaven's joy and throne, one who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of God the Father. We're celebrating someone who went from knowledge without experience to knowledge and experience so that by His death He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through the fear of death were enslaved all the days of their life. Listen to these two descriptions in the book of Hebrews about Jesus' understanding of us. In Hebrews chapter 4, if you'll join me there, we have this beautiful picture of Jesus' coming to the earth and the experience of moving from one kind of knowledge to another. One kind of transcendent to a kind of nearness. Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. If you've got a good old King James, it's probably just as good a reading as you could ever have. Who not, who can, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. It's so good. I have no idea what you're feeling today, but I know somebody who's been touched by it. That's his story we're telling today. He says, one who's been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Then in Hebrews chapter 2, I quoted part of it just a moment ago. Go to chapter 2, verse 14. Since then, verse 14 of Hebrews 2, since then the children share in flesh and blood. He, Jesus Himself, likewise also partook of the same. That's the story. Flesh and blood. You're going to hold it in a minute in your hand and be reminded, flesh and blood. He partook of the same, that through death He might render powerless, that is the devil, 
the one who had the power of death and might deliver those who fear of death, were subject to slavery all the days of their life. Look in verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Verse The very last verse in the chapter 18, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Do you hear that? He is able to come to your aid. That's the story we're telling today. The one who ran to your aid. The one who came to seek and save the lost. The one who left the 99 and went after the one stray. That's his story. We're telling it today. And so today, as we come to the Lord's table and as we think together through the whole process of what the Apostle Paul was teaching in the passage that we had the children read this morning where Jesus took the bread and then He took the cup and He said, this is my body which is for you. This is the blood of the new covenant which is for you. It's a story that you can be a part of. It's a story that many of us here today already are a part of. And we love to tell the story. And that's what we're going to do today. So as the deacons make their way down and take a seat on the front rows, I want to just remind you of a couple of passages in Hebrews that lead us out of what we're going to do and into what we should be doing. In Hebrews chapter 12, which Steve read at the end of uh, the reading that he had today. Listen to the words, starting in verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him. I don't know if you've thought about this joy that Paul's talking about in Philippians, This joy that the writer to the Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews and the joy that Jesus talked about in John 15. Remember, Jesus said, abide in me like a branch abides in a vine and apart from me you can do nothing. And these things I've spoken in you that my joy may be in you. What is his joy? Jesus was glad to save you. That's his joy. He was glad to save you. He was happy to do it. He didn't come grudgingly, dragging along. I don't know if I want to do that. He was happy to save you. And that happiness in His salvation, that joy in His salvation, is a joy He wants to commend to you that you experience and that you take that out and that you share it. And so we're going to hand out the elements this morning. We're going to share in the elements of the body represented by the bread, the blood represented by the cup and We're going to rejoice together in the work and words of Jesus. So, guys, if you all come and stand with us and we'll... I will just share with you, back in the day we used to kind of carry two different plates or two different trays out, but you'll notice that their cups are stacked. The lower cup has the bread, the upper cup has the grape juice in it. So, And it is grape juice, just making sure you know that. And... uh, Would you bow with me as we prepare to receive these elements? Father, by the grace of Jesus, we want to rejoice. 
We want to thank you that your knowledge of sin has become experiential because your son on our behalf was made to be sin, though he had never sinned. So whatever the feelings and experiences and shames and guilts and anguishes and punishments that belong to sinners rightly, we know that Jesus knew those personally. And so today as we celebrate and as we reflect, I pray that we would be moved to joy and obedience and personal sacrifice. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's uh, take a minute and kind of walk through the story. The Bible teaches us that God is perfect, holy, and transcendent. That His holiness makes Him utterly and completely separate from us, even uh, beyond comprehension. The Bible teaches that He made the heavens and the earth. And that one of the great expressions of His creation was to build, to make, to form, to create humans in His image. Adam first and then Eve. That Adam and Eve had a perfection and an innocence and a sinlessness. But they made a willful choice thinking that they might comprehend the knowledge of good and evil in disobedience like, a, like an oncologist comprehends cancer intellectually. They were deceived. And instead of intellectually comprehending it, they were blinded to its ugliness and received into their hearts, a state from which that by their own hand and by their own deeds, neither they nor all of their offspring could ever escape. God being rich in mercy and because of the great love with which He loved us, He sent Jesus to take on real flesh and blood human skin, born of the Virgin Mary. The Bible says that He lived under the law and under the will of His Father perfectly, flawlessly, sinlessly. Knowing the sufferings of humanity, knowing and comprehending what it felt like to be rejected or hated or scorned or betrayed, He experienced those things. And yet, he had never sinned, the Bible says, that he chose a kind of knowledge of what you have. This disease, this deadly disease, this eternally fatal disease called sin. He chose to know it experientially. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God made him who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And that choice that He made turned Him into that which He most hated and that which we are under the curse of. And He took it upon Himself. The only way that he could was to have a real body. And that's why Jesus said, this is my body, this bread, which is for you. That's this wonderful offering of what he was offering to you while he was offering his body to God the Father. He was offering a perfection and a goodness and a wholeness and a sinlessness and a righteousness that none of us have ever had and cannot derive from ourselves. So when you and I take this bread today, 
we are celebrating someone who chose to know sin, not from afar, not intellectually, but in his body and in his person to become that horrid thing that we all are. And he did that because he loves you. So let's give him thanks. Father in heaven, we rejoice in Jesus. And we give praise. And by his merciful hand, we receive into our hands a symbol, a picture, an illustration, a reminder, a story. Of a divine, perfect being who left the comforts of heaven and stepped onto this earth to sympathize with our weakness, to be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. And that he did so because he loves us. So we give thanks for Jesus who took on a body that he may take on our sin. For that, we are eternally grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Just some time thanking Him. Bowing your heads, closing your eyes, and just some time thanking Him. The Bible says that Jesus moved from the bread and the reminder of his body to the cup and the reminder of his blood. In our story about the oncologist, oncologists have the scary news sometimes of sitting down with a person and saying, if what you have isn't treated, it will kill you. My Doctor sat with me when I was diagnosed and said, you got to deal with this. Can't leave it alone. And there are some ways, you have some options, but you got to deal with it. And so I had to reflect, as many before me have and many after me will it, how do I need to respond to this? And my bottom line response was, I want this out of me. And so that's, that's what the step that they took. Jesus comes to us and He's telling you. He says to the Pharisees, unless you believe in Me, you will die in your sin. 
Jesus is giving us an oncologist's conclusion about sin. It'll kill you. If it doesn't get out of you, if it's not removed from you, this is going to take you down. But then He turns to us and says, now I will do what's necessary for that. And that's what the cup is about. You see, it wasn't just enough for Jesus to take on the infirmities, the weaknesses, all of the things that are the human experience. He had to literally take on our sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. And so there he is, the taking on of our sin, yet not being a sinner, never sinning. But still, that wasn't enough. That's why the, the story has two parts. The bread is the picture of taking upon himself the humanity and the sins of humanity. But the cup is a different story. It is the story that sin has a devastating penalty. Outcome. That sin's outcome is death. And that there is a remedy for it. And that because Jesus took it upon Himself, He poured out His blood, He shed His blood, He sacrificed himself. He was the sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says, resultantly, it's a removal from you of the thing that will kill you. And that by his death, he has made forgiveness and sins removal and a new heart all possible because he did this. And he made a covenant in his blood. He said this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What is that covenant? That he will remember our sins no more. Think about that. I wish I had a forgetter because I'm really a knucklehead and I'd sure like to forget what I'm like. But Jesus has the capability of making God the Father able to remember our sins no more. That's the work of the one who became flesh and with his flesh suffered and bled and died. Let's thank him. We receive, Lord Jesus, the picture, the symbol, the illustration, and the wonderful presence that you give us while we celebrate of telling the story that you came in the flesh and that you died on the cross and were raised from the dead. And we rejoice. So now as we drink, give us joy and the willingness to walk out of here in the way the Apostle Paul said that we would live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make us storytellers. Make us thankful. Make us joyful. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you bow with me? God, in His infinite and eternal wisdom, made a sacrificial decision that involved His Son moving from intellectual, transcendent, total, vast, 
perfect knowledge of sin to actually taking on a body and being touched by its infirmities. And finally being killed by its penalties. And he did that because he really, genuinely, truly, and immeasurably loves you. And he invites you today to know that he has experienced firsthand so that he can know you, understand you, lead you, have compassion on you, be patient with you, sympathize with you, and hold you. And so I want you to be able today to just joyfully give Him thanks and to leave here being compelled by the joy of His sacrifice. Would you stand? If you've not received this gift, this offer, this promise...